I'm just, you know, kind of want to say that in a shower. I don't really have anything. But that's not true. Because in, in the Bible, you know, one thing about the Bible, thank you, John, once again. You know, the Bible is so rich and so full of uh, so many nuggets. And, you know, th- there should be, never should be room in the Bible for jealousy. That's, that's a word of the flesh. And I love it when John and others, when they're up and they're, uh, they're sharing the word of God, that how God uses them and anoints them. That's the way it should be. That's ministry. That's the way it should be. And it is always great uh, to be, I think it's a privilege to share the gospel. And I've always said that, that for everyone that's listening, there's something God wants you to hear and take with you. And sometimes, I'm not saying us or whatever, but sometimes people get caught up on a word or whatever, and it's amazing. I, this, is, this is not part of the message, so you know that the blabbermouth is back and I'm going down a rabbit trail. Anyway, and, and sometimes a pastor can say one word that can trip somebody and tick them off and throw them off their game. That's all they can think about is that one word. My point is, you know, let the Holy Spirit minister to you because there's something in this message that God has just for you and for me. We're going to be talking about guilt this morning. And guilt is a giant that can just destroy anyone caught in its wake. And one of the most powerful stories that caused the devastation of guilt is found in the Old Testament. And it's a story that we have heard many, many, many times. But again, the Bible, you can preach out of one um, chapter and one verse, and you can preach that many different ways. It depends on how the Holy Spirit is using that person. But the one I'm talking about is King David. Someone, one of Jan's girlfriends said this about David. Oh, he was such a bad person. Yes, he was in many ways, but he was a man after God's own heart. He was bad because guess what? Sometimes we are bad. If anybody's perfect, please come up and you can take the, take the podium and you can share with us. We all fall short of the mark. In other words, sometimes we're all bad. David was very aware of his blessings and his anointing by God. He was loved by his people. He was a ruler of a nation. At that time, was the most powerful nation in the world. David was multi-talented. He was an accomplished musician. Uh, he was a gifted writer and a military leader. He had more money and power than we could possibly imagine. Yet one evening, David was strolling along the top of, the, of his palace, the roof, when a beautiful woman bathing not only caught his eye, but also his lingering imagination and thoughts. David was filled with desire. His desire for this woman was overwhelming to him. 
What'd he do? His act, he acted out his desire. I'm pausing because I think that in today's age with all what's on that internet and all that stuff can just be so powerful and so tempting. And it's not only bringing pastors down, it's bringing everyone down. I'm talking about, about pornography. Not only for men, but also for women. And when that stuff gets into your brain, it's hard to get out. No matter who you are, if it gets into your brain, it's hard to get it out. David was a man, a man after God's own heart, but he saw a woman who to him in his eyes was so beautiful. He wanted her. And he took her. He, he really was an act of adultery. Really, that's what he did. And he took her, and guess what? She got pregnant. And word of her condition during David's day was a bad thing. Could have damaged his uh, moral authority as the king of God's people. So what did David do? This is all found in 2 Samuel 11. I'm just setting you up for the rest of the story. So, his, he had a cover-up plan. And we know what it is. That cover-up plan that would resolve the situation and cover up his sin with Bathsheba. So, let's look at 2 Samuel 11. I'm going to start now at 5 through 13. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab. Send me Uriah. Who was Uriah? That was Bathsheba's husband, the Hittite. And Joab sent soldiers. I lost my place. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. The guy was at war. So David had the plan. Let's just bring him back. For whatever reason, David decided usually he was out there with his troops. He was a warrior in battle, but he stayed home while his, while his soldier, while they went into battle. And Uriah was right there, so so David sent for Uriah. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent with after him. But Uriah kept at the slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. Isn't that amazing? So David figured, hey, this guy's been off to war. He's got a beautiful wife. I bring him home. Where does he want to go? He should want to go to be with his wife, right? No, wrong. That's not what happens. So, 
He went to the entrance of the palace with all of his master's servants. He did not go down to his house. When David was told Uriah did not go home, he asked him, Haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are, are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Well, David had a kick in plan B. Then David said to him, Stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him. Why? And David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep again on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. Interesting, isn't it? He sent for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and basically told him to go home, go to his wife. That didn't work, so he invited Uriah back to the palace, this time for dinner and drinks, in hopes to get him drunk so that he could send him back to his wife to spend some intimate time with her. See, thinking, thinking, thinking that this would happen here, that there wouldn't be, he'd have an excuse of a pregnancy that was legitimate because Uriah was going to sleep with his wife. That was David's thought. That was his process. What happened? Uriah threw him a curve. Uriah was a righteous man. And he said, no. I'm loyal to the king's army. I can't do this. See, his loyalty took precedence over his own desires. David wasn't ready for that. He was not ready for righteousness because he was steeped in his own sin. What was David to do? Ah, he said, I heard a phone. He said, because David did not have a cell phone back in those days, so he couldn't use that. So he made one final effort to cover up his sin with Bathsheba. One effort, final effort. Let's look at that in verses uh, 14 and 15. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. Can you imagine? Uriah was sent to the front line to die, and he did. This meant his pregnant wife could remarry almost immediately. So now adding 
to David's resume of adultery was murder and deception. So I'm going to briefly talk about now four points here. And my first point is the sounds of silence. Psalm, I'm looking at Psalm 32 and 51. If you are struggling with guilt or whatever, these psalms are great for you to read because both of them tie in to David's issue with Bathsheba and, and his sin. And so really in, in Psalm 32, in the verses we're going to read, uh, describe David's feelings during this difficult period in his life. Psalm 32, 3 and 4. Verse 1, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. David's guilt was followed by silence and emotional pain, which was hindering his relationship with God. In his suffering spirit, he said in verse 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. David had ruled over a mighty army. He lived in a palace filled with servants at his beck and call. Yet he could not rule over his own guilty conscience. He had nowhere to go. No one to turn to. That's what guilt does. When we, are, when we are just filled with guilt, it haunts us. And sometimes we're so ashamed of whatever, we don't want to share with anyone. So we keep it within ourselves, and that just haunts us. How do we overcome that guilt? That was David. That's what he was experiencing. There was only two people outside of David knew what was going on. Now, some, some theologians say, well, that's not really true because the servants probably had an, had an inkling of what's going on because what did he do? What did he do? He sent messengers to Bathsheba. You know, David didn't go himself. He sent messengers. So, you know, so I'll, let, I'll let the theologians argue over that one. But the point is that David felt guilt. Joab Bathsheba knew this deception. My feeling is, since it used the term messengers, other people were aware of this, of this situation. But I want to go on to David's guilt revealed, number two. 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 7. And we're going to stay here because this is a very interesting. I want you to hear this. Very, so if you've been asleep, I hope you're awake. Because then it really gets interesting what's going on. So we're looking at 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 7. The Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men, he came with him with a parable. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank and, and, and drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. So here we go. 
We know what's going on here. So this little lamb was really the family pet. Now a traveler came to... Am I, am I sound like I'm yelling. Is everything cool? I'm not, I'm not mad at you, but it just sound like I'm yelling. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man ref, refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Verses 5 and 6. This is really interesting. David, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to what? To die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did, did such a thing and had no pity. A year had passed, and during this time, David's life was an absolute mess. He became physically weak and lost his joy. Finally, God sent Nathan the prophet, not with a message of blessing, but a message of conviction of sin. Nathaniel's parable here consists of Two people, the rich man, who had, you know, the finest flocks. Am I still on? Am I good? All right. Okay? All right. Finest flocks. And the poor man, he bought this one little lamb. That lamb even slept with them. He loved this lamb. The fam- it was the family pet. But the rich man, the, rim- the rich man wanted did not want a lamb from his abundant flock to feed the traveler. So what did he do? Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and served it for dinner. I can't believe it. That's what he did. But listen, here's here's the story. So, So Nathan's telling this story because Nathan knows what's going on. He didn't come flat out and say, David, you slept this way. He didn't do that. He used a parable, a story. So what does David say? He's listening carefully, and then David responded. He responded in verses 5 and 6. David burned with anger against the man, said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. This story was about David's transgressions, and Nathan used this parable to help David see the condemnation of his sin with Bathsheba. Now listen again to verse 7. Just as one part. You, uh, Nathan said, you are the man. You are this man. And then in verses 9 and 10, we're going down. The Lord said, why did you despise the word of the Lord 
by doing what is evil in his eyes. You struck down Uriah, Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despise me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. You know, David was the greatest king of Israel, right? That's what we say. And he was in so many ways. But as a father, his domestic life was a mess. Was a flat mess. It always was. Now, this, oh, this happened over a period of time. We know that the baby died, right? The baby died, tragedy, in his household. And guess what happened? Who was chasing David all over the countryside? Wanted to kill him. His own son, Absalom. This is not a surprise. God said this would happen. Because sin has consequences. God forgives sin, but oftentimes we live with the consequences of that sin. Committing adultery, and one that commits adultery, God will forgive. But it leaves residue. It leaves scars. Scars that are there. Probably for life. How are we doing? This leads us to point three, admitting our guilt. That's, here's the beauty of King David. You know, when, when he became aware of his sin, now we can argue, well, gee, for, you know, once when he sent uh, Uriah back to the front lines, if you keep reading that in Samuel, he didn't sound like he was remorseful. Not at all. He did, but this was happening through really a period of one year. When things started to unravel for David, he started getting into conscience, being aware of, of what he had done. Psalm 51, 1 through 3. David said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Notice David's prayer of confession was very personal. He used the personal pronoun me three times here in three verses. And he used the adjective my five times. David's eyes and heart were not on someone else, but they were on himself and his Lord, sometimes, sometimes we play the blame game. It's the boss's fault. Can't be mine. It's the board's fault in the church. They're terrible. They make lousy decisions. The church is going down the tubes because of them. It's their fault. Ah, but really it's the pastor's fault. It's got to be the pastor's fault. So let's just dump it all on him. It's society's fault. It's the dog's fault. It's not mine. It can't be mine. But make no mistake. 
Make no mistake, the journey of healing of guilt from guilt starts with our own ownership. We need to own our stuff. David said, he said here, I own this. This is on me. Then he said in verse 2, he said, cleanse me of my sin. Cleanse me of my sin. Listen, failing to live up to our mistakes is failing to live up to God's standards. You see, being humble and owning up to our misfires renews our hope, renews our fellowship with God and with others. Now we go to restoration, number four. Psalm 51, 10 through 12. David said, create create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. We need to break this down. I believe in verse 10, David is asking God what we should ask for. A new life. God, give me a new life. Give me a new heart. Refine my spirit. Refine me. Give me a new beginning. See, this whole transformation process can only happen through the Messiah himself. That's it. What what did David do in in the depths of his pain and his weakness? He went to his Lord. That's what we're called to do, no matter what it is for us, when we are going through our stuff. It's coming before the altar, coming before his throne, and asking God to redeem us, to forgive us. Verse 11 David said, do not cast from me your presence. David's desire was to live in the presence of his God. This should be our desire as well. Amen? Then he continues, or take your Holy Spirit from me. To abide in the Holy Spirit is the same thing as being in the presence of God. They're one and the same. When we say, let's be in the presence of God, we are inviting the Holy Spirit to be in our presence. Does that make any sense to you? Dave did not want God's Spirit to be taken from him, nor should we. 12a, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Here David connects joy with salvation because salvation also includes the deliverance of the power of Sin. Therefore, as God brings deliverance from, from sin, then security and joy will always follow. Isn't that true? When you stop and think about it, when you confess your sin, if you've been really in a bad place and you confess your sin, how does that make you feel? Once you experience God's forgiveness, it should make you feel good. 
Doesn't it kind of lift you up a little bit? Knowing, oh, this burden on my shoulder has been lifted. I am now, I am now released. I am forgiven. I'm transformed. That's the joy of salvation. And David said, I want that joy. I want the joy of salvation in me. Twelve B. And David said, Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. It's asking the Holy Spirit to sustain us in doing God's will, to be, to be our constant companion and our guide. That's why David did not want. God's spirit to be removed from him because he knew he needed the Holy Spirit as his companion and his guide. David was talking about, I believe in these verses, the one defining moment of true confession from the heart. When we are truly confessing from the heart, whatever it is, that is holding us down, whatever guilt we may be carrying, if we bring it to the Lord Jesus Christ from the heart and confess it, then he restores our relationship with him. Then he restores us. That is so important. Confession should be every day. I have to personally, I have to confess every day my sins because I sin. John says, I don't sin. No, I sin. We all sin, don't we? So confessing it, what we're doing is we're renewing our relationship with God. That doesn't mean we've lost our I'm not saying we've lost our salvation. What it does is when we sin, we break our relationship with God. There is something that grieves God when we sin. And His Spirit... Uh, confirms that in us so when we ask for forgiveness he forgives us and restores us in him uh, I'm sure that many of you have could share your stories of guilt or sin or whatever but I was thinking about this how can I close this and So I'm going to share a story with you, but I'm not going to name the name. But it's a, it's a flat-out true story. In my first church that God called me to, there was this young couple in our church. They had one child, and one was on the way. And being, a, I thought, a good pastor and get to know the people, I went out to visit this family. And the wife made me feel very uncomfortable because she acted like she didn't even want me there. Who would not want me in their house? You know, she, she really, she, she, was very, she was very distant, very cold. So I shared, we talked, and then I left. 
I think I shared with Jan, I can't, that was so many years ago, but basically I said, this woman is troubled. There's trouble in her heart. There's trouble in her eyes. She's troubled. Well, it's kind of interesting because they were members of the church, but they really, they weren't really there. So for whatever reason, God used us. We took them under our wing and they became born-again Christians, unbelievable, in their house. They became baptized in the Holy Spirit, born-again Christians, and I'm Presbyterian. Can you believe it? Amen. That's a, that's a miracle. So that's a miracle that happened. And after that, then this woman shared, Jan and the woman became very close, and she shared with Jan something that's going to break your heart. She said, I'm so saddled with guilt because I had an abortion. She said, I was not in Christ, and she was not making excuses for herself, but she said, I was not in Christ. I was in, in college, in the college scene, and I knew this man casually. We were drinking, and it happened. She got pregnant. And to this day, we're still friends. We've worked with her. Jan has over her guilt. And, and in Christ, she's forgiven. But she can't. She's got the, the, the consequences are there of what she did. And when you look at her, you can see it in her eyes. You can see that you can see a sadness. You can see a sadness in her eyes because that sin she cannot really let go because the scars are there. But she's forgiven. She's forgiven. So when you look at that story and David's story, it reminds us. It reminds us that we also need to face and confess to Jesus the depth of our sin. Whatever is holding you back, whatever sin that's, that has a hold of you, you need to confess it to Jesus. Bring it to Him. Bring it to the cross. Bring it to His feet. And let Him cleanse you as God cleansed David. Let Him cleanse you so you can be set free from guilt. Sin, guilt, goes together like hand in the glove. You want to be set free from guilt? Then do what David did. You bring it to Christ. You bring it to God. You bring it to your Jesus. And you'll be set free and experience forgiveness, acceptance, and you receive the joy of your salvation. God does not want you to feel good, like I shared with my friend back there. He wants you to feel great. So if you're down, there's something's bothering you, there's, that's between you and your, your God. Then go to Jesus, and he will forgive you, and he will restore you every time. 
Lord, we praise you and thank you. I pray, Lord, for a brother or a sister that needs restoration, Lord, that they would turn to you now, that you minister to the hearts. And Lord, that they will know that you are only one ask away. You're only one confession away from being set free from guilt. Be set free from the pain that that sin has caused. So we thank you, Lord. I pray for that, that one person here today that just so desperately needs to hear this and to experience your forgiveness and their restoration. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stay with us? And oh.